Well, good day, everyone, and welcome to what I think is going to be an absolutely fascinating look at telepsychiatry. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Michael Minelli. I am the executive chairman of Zen, and today's webinar is entitled Mental Health Assessment and Diagnosis in the Time of COVID-19. This, for me, is uh, quite a special uh, event in a number of ways. Firstly, FS Club uh, does focus as much on technology as finance, and it's important, I think, to to, to spread out a bit. And this is an interesting area for a lot of us. Uh, secondly, I happen to be a trustee of the Lord Mayor's Appeal, and we are very much behind the green mental health awareness ribbon uh, and other things like that. Uh, thirdly, we're going to be chatting with Professor Mike Smith, and Professor Mike Smith is important to me uh, in many ways, but I'll name three. Uh, firstly, uh, Mike and I began working together uh, in September 1979. Yes, that is not a mistake in September uh, 1979, so well over 40 years ago. Uh, secondly, Mike is a supplier to my firm of expert systems in all sorts of areas, uh, particularly in the area of highly secure surveys for things like our financial center indices, our smart center indices, our green finance indices. And Mike uh, and I and Ian Harris co-developed in many ways some of the approaches behind our, our use of blockchains uh, instantiated in our Chainsy system, which Mike also developed. So a lot of development and hard work there. And more importantly, if you look behind Mike on the screen there, you'll see some instruments. He's an amateur instrument maker, and I happen to have a banjo, a guitar, and two cellos uh, from him. So an all good fun to play with. And it saves me paying for a really expensive instrument when I can destroy one of his uh, inexpensive ones. Mike, welcome. Good. Now, uh, just before we begin, it's important for me uh, to point out that it's our sponsors who make all of this possible. And while most of our sponsors are in technology and finance, uh, all of us have an interest in math mental health. Uh, some of our sponsors do provide mental health systems. Uh, others do, in fact, uh, help their staff, particularly in larger organizations where systemic uh, approaches might be more useful. And Mike today is going to be talking to us for about uh, 20 to 25 minutes about uh, a project uh, called Youth in Mind, which he's behind and owns to declare interest. Uh, and within that two areas, SDQ, the Strength and Development Questionnaire, and DAUBA, as I call it, uh, the uh, Digital uh, assessment and well-being. Uh, sorry, to, to help me, Mike. You say it. Oh, I'll introduce it in the talk. That's yeah. even better. Good. Anyway, I think that's it. We're going to have a lot of time for questions. It's an intimate audience today. We're just about thirty at the moment. Um, but do please get your questions in because they're probably going to be a little bit more technical than usual. Uh, there is a facility on GoToWebinar where you can type questions. If we don't get time to answer all of the questions, which does happen uh, on a number of occasions, uh, we do have your email, and Mike and I will ensure that we get back to you. If you'd like to contact Mike directly, uh, just simply email saying you'd like that, and I will ensure that he gets your email and is connected with you. So, uh, so that's it. Mike, uh, with no further ado, uh, the floor is yours. Thank you, Michael. Uh, do you want to... Show the next slide, please. Well, how did I get uh, into this place? Like most of us, no planning, all random sort of Brownian movement, I guess. Um, any rate, I 
met via a psychiatrist I'd worked with uh, at North Staffordshire uh, Health Authority. Um, and um, we've been not quite like Michael and I, not 41 years, but we've been working together about 20 years now. Um, and Robert uh, retired recently and is pulled out and I'm now uh, doing pretty much everything. Um, the SDQ is the Strengths and Difficulties Questionnaire and the DOLBA is the Development and Wellbeing Assessment. And these are, I think, uh, the most used, certainly, and uh, undoubtedly the best research mental health measures in the world. Uh, been now running online with them for 15 years online with the internet technology and there's a five years uh, before that. I developed the secure platform on which it runs. Uh, we developed it from that, not the other way around, I'm glad to say, uh, because this is probably the most sensitive uh, data in the world. Uh, I can hardly think of anything more sensitive than child psychiatric records. So I have the pleasure at a rather considerable old age of starting all over again and running this. Michael, next. Let's talk about, first of all, about the real problem. Okay, we think COVID is something, mental health has vastly greater incidence and morbidity uh, than any of the epidemics. It's constant, it's persistent. Without any doubt, at least 12% of the children in the United Kingdom suffer from serious psychiatric disorders, not, I should have said disorders, because most people suffer from more than one disorder. The figure in the 2017 study of children in England, which was a very, very good study with the uh, ONS, uh, actually the rate is now running towards 15%, and that's a real increase over the last 10 years since the uh, previous one. On top of that, at least 15% and probably 20 to 25% of all children in the United Kingdom or in England uh, uh, require or would benefit from uh, immediate intervention in mental health problems. The cost is absolutely enormous. Year after year after year, uh, we're looking at huge losses and probably one third of all children and people really uh, suffering from mental health problems are not actually identified. And in the case of children, um, even the children may not necessarily be aware of the nature of the problems that they have. While I put it in the context of England or the United Kingdom, which I know quite well, um, the UK is actually quite good at this. Uh, the schools have good programs for helping uh, intervene uh, in early years. Um, the latest study showed that, for example, boys who suffer from behavioral disorders, uh, the interventions carried out nationally have actually capped the incidence of psychiatric disorders in boys uh, quite effectively. So with almost no exception, even Denmark, which is a sort of poster child of the world for almost everything, 
Um, even in Denmark, the situation is very similar. And when I talk about the UK, um, the projection is very likely that this is uh, a fairly good case and the world is worse. Here's, I'm going to now make a cartoon. You know the old joke about journalism, first simplify, then exaggerate. Um, there is exaggeration here, but I think very few practitioners would say this is not fairly typical. If your child has a mental health problem and you go to your GP or one of the community uh, mechanisms, 50% of these referrals from your GP will be simply refused out of hand by child and adolescent mental health services in the United Kingdom. No explanation, boom. So imagine you went to your GP with a painful wrist after a fall, your GP referred you to radiology for an x-ray and 50% of the times that you went, radiology just sent you home with no explanation and no investigation. That's mental health for you. Of the 50% who get accepted by the mental health services, most wait nine months or longer. And in that time, 50% of the young people waiting on the list drop off for a number of reasons. And then by the time that group reaches, actually sees a mental health professional, half of the treatment sessions half of the sessional time will be spent doing diagnosis, not treatment. So it takes a great deal of time to get there. And then once the diagnosis is there, the caricature is half of those will not be treatable by the adolescent, child and adolescent mental health services. For example, ADHD may or may not be treated by pediatricians or even back to the GP. And this is a terrible, this is a terrible situation. Um, and it's not an NHS problem, this is a world problem. Um, rather controversially, I'm going to say it's down to antiquated attitudes and processes, which one of the good things about COVID is it's shaking people up. All of a sudden, there's more stress, there's more isolation. Um, the mental health services are even less functional than usual. Although I do understand that many of them are actually twiddling their fingers, uh, but we can look forward to, while the lockdown is in place to elevated uh, stress and depression and studies after the previous lockdown situations um, have shown that uh, post-traumatic stress uh, kicks in at a very high level uh, amongst the whole population. So what might be done, this is an opportunity. I see COVID as a huge opportunity in some areas uh, to make things better. Uh, of course, the mental health services recognize they must minimize physical contact. Uh, and the opportunity is 
to use this period both of new way of working and also some less pressure uh, to increase the ability to assess and diagnose and even monitor. Uh, one of the things I didn't mention that once you're discharged from mental health services, you're back on the street again. Nobody's going to call you up in six months and ask you how you're doing. So monitoring is a, another missed opportunity. So the answer is maybe telepsychiatry or telemental health, which I kind of like the way that rolls off the, off the tongue a bit. Um, and all of a sudden, online and telephone diagnosis and treatment have become legitimate. So drivers for telemental health, COVID-19, contactless operation. But the real driver should be this appalling wait for treatment where, I mean, by the time your GP is, you're at the GP with your distressed young person, uh, it's already an emergency then to wait nine, 10 months, 12 months for it, only to be sent off to somewhere else is not a good answer. And there's this huge unmet need outside the waiting list as well. It's all being handled by a process that uh, Freud would probably uh, not consider very different from the way they used to do it at the turn of the 20th century, uh, uh, psychiatry. And it's handcrafted. It requires very, very lengthy treatment training. And the whole process is very uncertain and dubious outcomes uh, are fairly obvious. What could be done? Strengths and difficulties questionnaire, the SDQ. This is a brief mental health assessment, can be done in three to five minutes. We have no problem processing an entire school of a thousand young people in a day with uh, an SDQ. It's translated into over 50 human languages. It has over 4,600 peer-reviewed academic papers detailing the use of the SDQ. It's the minimum data set in more countries and United States uh, than I'm aware of. Uh, it's been running online for 15 years, highly scalable. There have not been no data protection accidents or fingers crossed security penetration that we're aware of. Um, it provides assessment, monitoring, and outcome measures, uh, and we're doing this now. There's a lot more interest than there was even two weeks ago, but it's still not enough. Now, the DORBA is a more interesting prospect and is much more, potentially much more controversial. This is a full panel psychiatric diagnostic. It covers the entire spectrum of the international classification of disease and the American equivalent of it. So it's actually mapped backwards from the potential spectrum of diagnosis, is mapped backwards and it's been written so that it performs much like a psychiatrist would do. Uh, it doesn't 
if a subject is not relevant, it doesn't beat it to death. It backs off, but it also probes and does a lot of interesting things. Uh, it is used on considerable scale worldwide. Uh, for example, in some Scandinavian countries, we're talking about tens of thousands of these being used. Uh, but in all cases, it's almost always used in the wrong place. It's used after the weight, not in front of it. The proposal I've made in the United Kingdom, uh, in a rather casual way in the UK, and in Denmark, this may happen, or I'm hoping it will happen. Uh, the DAWBA has been purchased by the entire nation of Denmark. Uh, where it's been used uh, fairly casually for some time. Excuse me, I've just had another uh, glitch on my screen. You're fine, Mike. Keep keep going. It's fine. Okay. It's a bit disconcerting. A um, bit like students looking at their mobile phones, which is why I decided to retire from uh, university life. Um, anyway, the, the nation of Denmark is purchased this on a nationwide basis and is committed to making it happen over the next four years. So at the end of four years, um, I'm looking forward to the possibility or the hopeful probability that the DAWBA will be used for every psychiatric diagnosis in Denmark. Um, so my proposal is basically that this is a tool or a diagnostic service at the call of, let's call it general practice, but there's also some community referrers as well. So just in exactly the same way that radiology works, you come in with a sore arm after a fall, the GP for reassurance sends you to radiology, uh, where they quickly x-ray you, um, review it, x-ray it, and send it back to the GP in very short order. Uh, even though, unlike psychiatry, uh, breaks are very obvious, but you're sent to radiology for reassurance and just to make sure. Uh, unfortunately, mental health is a much broader subject, requiring much more training and not a lot of GPs, even though it's, I understand something like 30% of their work is, is this kind of thing. Uh, they're not that well up on it and they don't feel that confident. So the proposal is then to send the patient to the DAWBA unit, which basically surveys them within two weeks, working weeks, and sends back the GP a authoritative, comprehensive diagnosis, or preferably, hopefully, non-diagnosis saying that they're actually not mentally ill in that sense. And then the GP uses that to refer to the mental health services uh, who have really no excuse for not then streaming uh, the child. So for example, if they don't treat ADHD, then the appropriate referral is to a pediatrician, uh, for example. Um, so. This is a complex diagram, but basically it looks at putting the cart, the horse in front of the cart, not the other way around. Okay, so diagnosis first, then waiting for treatment if necessary, or 
if uh, sometimes it's beneficial actually I won't say that waiting isn't uh, intervention isn't always the best option but it gives a responsible kind of waiting where for example SDQs can be administered every two months while people are waiting to make sure that their condition hasn't gotten worse or indeed if it's gotten better then it's safe to take them off the waiting list so this is a proposal that basically looks at re-engineering the psychiatric referral process in a very substantial way. So, what's not to like? Okay, we're looking at reduced diagnostic cost, uh, specialized technicians, which people don't like that word, so I call them assistants, specialized technicians, just like in radiology. If you've been to your radiology department and had a uh, uh, an imaging, uh, it's amazing, these technologists, they flip your radiology up on a screen, they rotate it, they measure it, oh, it's, it's a treat, okay, and that is my dream. Um, it's also my dream, and rather controversially as well, that these people are not, these assistants are not necessarily medically qualified, they have very focused, very detailed training, they have clinical supervision, of course, at every step, just as in radiology, even the technician's competence is, uh, is quite stunning, really, when you, you look at it. But that's still signed off by a consultant radiologist, and this service would be signed off by a consultant psychiatrist. We're looking at reducing costs, I'll say conservatively, by 25 to 25%. Um, so that's a worthwhile cost saving, I hope. Uh, and perhaps even more importantly, by taking the diagnosis out of the treatment sessions, we're looking either at the opportunity to treat in better depth or to increase the throughput of treatment. Um, we're looking at being able to redirect unsuitable cases uh, before they ever get onto the waiting list. And remember, many people do not benefit from psychiatric treatment, even though they're referred. This will allow the exclusion of these kind of cases and uh, their reassurance is a very important feature in this. It's very structured, of course, it's structured psychiatry. Um, it's amenable to quality measurements, it's uh, amenable to uh, better outcomes determination, uh, consistent basis for everything that you want to do here. Um, may not always be necessarily right, but at least it's consistently wrong, uh, which has sounds cynical, but uh, it's better than the current situation. Um, standardized, consistent, detailed communication. The typical Dauber report is 33-0 pages long uh, for seriously uh, disturbed people. It can involve answering 3,000 questionnaires. It's possible to have multiple informants. It's not only possible, it's desirable. Uh, so the typical Dauber has two parent informants, it can have a third, uh, it has two teacher informants, and if the child is 11 or older, the child themselves can contribute to the Dauber. 
So it gives a very detailed picture of where the respondents are on the same page and where they're often not on the same page. So a typical profile is for a young person to be aware of impact that they're creating, but not aware of the reasons behind it. Uh, they may see themselves as highly sociable and a really fun person and everyone else uh, sees them in a very different way. Um, <coughs> so I won't go too far down on that, I'm obviously an enthusiast. Uh, it's also a very well-tested process. Uh, as I say, hundreds of thousands of these diagnoses have been done over the last few years. Uh, they're constantly reviewed by practitioners. Uh, in fact, in the DOBA process, the practitioner has the option to overrule diagnoses, uh, to scale them down, to ramp them up. Uh, but actually, they rarely do. Um, so, and the good news is this is not a pipe dream. This is not somebody asking for development money to develop this. This has all been running for a decade or more, and it can be scaled up to national scale, uh, at least from a computer point of view, maybe not the human point of view, but it can be scaled up in terms of weeks, months, not decades. Okay, what's to like? Um, I've recruited my first psychiatrist to head up a diagnostic service. His response to my initial probe was, I like science fiction, um, which was a, a bit downputting. Um, I did manage to convince him when I pointed out that this would be at the a tool for GPs, then he all of a sudden decided he liked this. So uh, let's watch this spot. It'll probably be introduced as a private service in the United Kingdom. And as I say, I'm working on a national level with Denmark, they're very slow um, and careful. So that's not moving as fast as I like. One of the big problems in this is to use one of my 50% correctatures, about half of the practitioners uh, don't actually believe in structured methods. Uh, they believe that this can only be done as an art and a craft, and that you know that it's cruel and heartless to uh, use forms and structures for this. My reply, of course, is it's cruel and heartless to deny. Uh, a huge body of need uh, when it can be perhaps dealt with in a cruel and heartless way. Um, so hmm. a lot of people, of course, think the system is so broken that there's no time to fix it. That's the usual excuse. Uh, the doctors tend to have the boxer in animal farm maximum of the answer to everything is to work harder, work longer hours, hire more people, and throw more resource, uh, uh, even when it's manifestly not working. Uh, it's a tribute to their personal qualities, uh, but hard work isn't always the best way to solve every problem. Um, so structured psychiatry is still not fully accepted. 
uh, even in Denmark, where it was mandated, it's part of their professional qualifications, uh, which nobody's been able to satisfy this for years. Uh, this will be the first time that they have a platform that will uh, support structure. And all in all, there is a feeling that telepsychiatry is science fiction, even though, in fact, in the United States, the Veterans Administration uh, found on large-scale tests that at least 50% of the people they were treating prefer not to have a human offering sympathy and tea across the table from them. So where's the future? Okay, COVID-19 is a huge, been a huge stimulant. Um, don't know where it'll end up, but um, I see it as quite an opportunity. Uh, given what we have. I think teleassessment in general practice in areas where it's now proven itself uh, will actually are here to stay. It's much more convenient, it's cheaper, it's easier, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, telediagnosis um, is likely to increase. Teleassessment uh, is the first step, uh, teletriage if you like, uh, a lot of child services are now coming during this time and are setting up in a way that will become systematic, much better use, less tea and sympathy, more system. Um, teletreatment, who knows? Uh, cognitive behavioral therapy has had online services. It's an excellent therapy for a lot of conditions. It's been on, but it's not universally used. Um, We'll have to see where that goes. And as for my psychiatric diagnostic service, um, have a look at Denmark in three or four years and let's see where it's gone. Maybe my private services will make some inroads. Mike, that uh, that was fantastic. Thank you for going through a very uh, complicated technical field. And uh, certainly one of the things we've noticed, because you use the Chainsy system to record these assessments. In fact, you, if you wanted to spend uh, 15 seconds on that, that would be interesting so people understood some of the technical uh, bits behind the security. And, and not just the security, but the validity of the data and ensuring that the data is effectively not cooked. But, you know, I, we're seeing 15 million uh, interactions a year, so it is a very wide and popular system for sure. Uh, you just want to have a just a second on why you're using um, effectively a a smart ledger to record these things, and you know what the government's well, asked you to do. Uh, might not be too short to describe, but in fact, there was a severe challenge from uh, one of the Scandinavian uh, data protectorates. Uh, a there was an accusation that we were altering the data uh, after it had been recorded. And in fact, this was the impetus that uh, caused me to start designing what I didn't know was a blockchain at the time, uh, was a mechanism of proving uh, in a, a, a very difficult deny way, um, proving that we had not altered the data. And uh, I developed yeah. this. I won't go into the details. But. Yeah, and that's what it's there for. And uh, of course, what was amusing to me was that your development resulted in 
uh, one that the National Physical Laboratory tested as far and away the fastest and quickest. Uh, which leads us on nicely to Toby Corbalis is asking a question. Are there ethical hurdles to using SDQ or DALBA routinely in, say, schools to help get in front of mental health problems before they develop? Okay, there's two parts to that. <clears throat> SDQ is not diagnostic. It is suggestive. Uh, in general, I deal with the United States. It, it is the biggest user of SDQ far and away. Uh, and different areas have different regimes. But in general, uh, there are no ethical issues providing that children are not singled out uh, particularly. So if, if a child has already engaged in a mental health cons uh, service, let's say in a school, then of course the use of SDQ is indicated. If it's offered to everyone, then and they're allowed to walk away if they want to, then there's generally no problem about it, even in the worst, most uh, odd uh, Ian, places in the States. Ian Harris, with whom I know you've worked, uh, uh, points out early feedback from psychotherapist friends who have been forced to practice remotely during the pandemic is that they are pleasantly surprised at how well it works for most of their patients. Uh, obviously, for some, this is impractical or unpopular uh, or impossible, but is this in line with the feedback you're getting basically positive? Yes. Um, I mean, necessity uh, helps uh, move things on. Again, the Veterans Administration had uh, very good results with using remote diagnosis and treatment. Um, and also, this sort of notion that everyone must be treated by it of course is is silly because if it reduces if it's acceptable to half the population or even desirable uh the benefit is still there it, it doesn't decrease the benefit even if you have to treat uh people in the old-fashioned way um an interesting question from uh, jane in west london as the radio announcers would say uh, the voluntary sector is picking up a lot of the poverty uh, slack post-COVID. Are the ways in your opinion that the voluntary sector could help systemically with some of these mental health issues using SDQ or DALBA? Absolutely. Um, but one of the problems with the voluntary sector is they are ironically quite resistant sometimes to system. Um, and they feel as charities, they need to look and feel charitable. Uh, yes, the use of systematic assessment and even the ability that the SDQ and DOBA provide of moving people that they've dealt with, moving them and their data in a systematic controlled way to other organizations uh, can help streamline the process and reduce a lot of redundant diagnosis and history taking and things like this. So I think the opportunities there are are huge um, and I look forward to their adoption. Uh, Mike, you know, everybody, uh, just about everybody has either mental health problems of their own given the statistics or has a very near and loved one uh, with same. Uh, certainly that's my case as well. Uh, my experience in the UK in this regard has been broadly positive, but 
the point you make early on, that nine to 12 month wait referral process is a big obstacle that has been experienced. Freddie McMahon asked, Mike, he really likes your approach. What are the barriers to implementation in the UK succinctly? I know you touched on some of them, uh, particularly at your end, what's not to like and what's to like, but just quickly, what do you think of the UK barriers? Um, in a public talk, I don't think I really want to go too far into it. Um, it's people are over their heads with work. Uh, they're frustrated by the whole system. Uh, they're too busy to fix the break. As I say, you know, we're too busy working with this broken system to fix it. Um, I mean, the amount of goodwill, of course, that exists there is absolutely enormous. Uh, the hours that people work, not just in COVID, but in mental health services and everywhere in the NHS, the hours that the professionals, the clinicians work uh, is actually absurd. Uh, uh, even the army doesn't treat its people that way or allow them to treat themselves like this. So as I say, the, part of the problem is they're stuck in their ways. Um, so, okay. Mike, um, you know, you you and Robert Goodman have uh, inspired nearly five thousand academic papers. You've got far and away the largest and most longitudinal data set on young people uh, around the world. Um, I've seen many articles recently inspired uh, or instigated by that. So what I'm going to ask you is in line with a number of questions the audience have. Um, so, for example, John Condon uh, thanks you, but he's just wondering who might hold the global comparison data. I'm interested in the comparison with Denmark, but is there an agency looking at worldwide data? The answer is no, and it probably will never happen. Um, the reason is, our view is that we are the uh, data processor. The data belong to our clients um, and strictly do. Um, sometimes those clients are working on a very focused area, single-handed yeah. practice. Uh, sometimes they're working on a national level. That's the uh, English survey, uh, which the actual data set has not been released. Um, uh, the, and Denmark works nationally. Bringing it across from there, the other point is that many of the projects are research projects. They're selected. I don't think it's a general population. I think to use that would be misleading. Okay. So work to be done in, in that space of data sharing, uh, as in so much of health, these uh, isolated proprietary almost data sets, or it is my well, data set, which is mine. One, one good thing we've seen is we've been approached by getting on a dozen researchers for to use the SDQ, the brief assessment uh, for COVID studies. And because it's an emergency, we're not charging for it in the normal way, uh, but we're insisting that if we provide it for free, if they pay for it, that's their business. If they provide it for free, then one of our conditions is that they do release the data globally uh, within a reasonable time. 
So, uh, so you might be a Trojan horse for international integration on this. That's great. It's, it does provide the opportunity for integration. Of course, some ambitious uh, bright spark will realize the opportunity, I hope. Uh, Dimitri is asking a sensitive question, so I've left off his surname. Uh, hello. How confident are you through your work that automating the assessment and diagnosis will free up 50% of clinicians' time to then dedicate on treatment? In other words, what's your evidence base? I, okay. lead on I, I lead on digital policy for GP contract delivery, so unsure of how easy and or advisable to split the professional suite of assessment, diagnosis, treatment, follow-up, etc., which is not as straightforward uh, in general practice. Yeah, it's not straightforward because it's done in the old-fashioned way. I mean, the SDQ and the DAW are tightly focused uh, where they go. The advantage for the GP, of course, in a five-minute interview, you cannot get any depth. Uh, you, all you do is look at the look at the child, look at the parents. They say they're very distressed. You make a call on that. There's no opportunity in five minutes to do it. In the DOBA or the S, even the SDQ, you're talking about, let's say, the SDQ, 15 minutes of the parent's time the child's time if they're old enough, uh, and a comprehensive report and analysis for the GP to look at. In fact, the ideal way to do it is, of course, is to see the SDQ results uh, before you see the patient, and then use the SDQ to tease out any sort of uncertain areas. Okay. Uh, the answer is I'm very confident 50% is probably a grotesque understatement of the time that will be saved in diagnosis okay treatment yeah yeah but i think dimitri is interested in the evidence space but maybe you can swap notes okay. with him afterwards um, the best evidence uh, the time available which is two minutes uh, we've got okay. a few questions on mental health itself and i think some succinct answers to a few sharp questions would be useful i know that some of these are not quite your area of expertise because you're really a data-based uh, researcher, not a doctor, and, I, and I'll come on to that. But uh, Bob McDowell asks, is there really an increase in mental health problems or are new strains of mental health being discovered? Now, you did refer, of course, to the American and the IDC uh, guides, but just quickly, your thoughts on that? It, all I can say is that the, the study of 9,000 children in England, which has been done three times over the three decades, is the best quality research. This this is done with using the DOBA, which is okay. there for examination. And what does it say? What do those three studies say? Oh, well, let me carry on. The ONS actually send interviewers in who are trained who administer this. So over three sets, the, the methodology is the best that has been possible. It is superb. The care taken was, was fantastic. And there is from 1997 to the mid 40s to 2017, there is a significant increase in diagnosis. Okay. Um, and I, from that, that's where I'll stop. Uh, Good. Well, Bob follows on with a supplementary, which makes sense. Can mental health problems be cured or is this uh, really just something that you deal with? Some can't. 
some camp, there are neurophysiological disorders, uh, which is probably represents the 15% where we're fairly certain Good. about this. What we do know from the 2017 study is that as children go into what I call high school, transitioning adolescence and changing school, the mental health problems, particularly of girls in 2017, starts off at a 45 degree angle to increase and it doesn't stop. Yeah, yeah it's certainly been my experience in a, a couple of schools I'm involved with. Um, in treating mental health, what percentage of treatments are standard and how many are of a tailored prescription? I can't answer that question. Okay. Uh, and uh, Morgan is asking, what what might you suggest in terms of new pre treatment ideas and or diagnostic suggestions for, for the more severe cases of mental health where patients may not respond so well to uh, the perhaps simplified diagnostic treatment means that you're discussing? I can't answer that question. Okay. I'm not, simply not qualified. Right. And a final question. Um, also on those lines, and I appreciate it. I just think it's important. No, no, that's fine. I, I'm, I'm not embarrassed. No. <laughs> Hugh Purser is asking, uh, much of the presentation focuses on the infrastructural and process problems. Yeah. Uh, is the capacity for treatment any better once a, a patient reaches that stage in the UK and globally? In other words, are there good outcome measurements at the treatment level? The outcome measures are not great. Um, uh, it's done sort of as research projects, not systematically. Outcome measurement, uh, once you're discharged, it's it's a feature of all medical systems practically. Once your specialist discharges you, you're, you're finished. You're on the street, as I say. Uh, what should be done, of course, is to, is to include outcome measures uh, with every patient. It is possible with what we do and what we propose. Mike, uh, we've run a little over time, but uh, for good reason. It's well worth it's hearing this. Um, you know, m mental health is a rising area, as you've indicated, and yet it's also one that even whilst it's been rising, we've done too little about uh, streamlining the efficiency and getting out there and really meeting the people who need the help that we're, we're talking about. And I, I agree with you. COVID gives us an opportunity through this huge look at tele-everything uh, to, to, to explore how much we can change some of those processes. And as it all begins with diagnosis and screening, uh, uh, this is the time to do it. So thank you so much for sharing um, all of those thoughts and what is clearly a, a work of passion uh, between you and Robert, and one that um, I, I fully support and think is wonderful. Uh, but I also think that uh, our uh, sponsors are wonderful, uh, allowing us through their forbearance uh, to go through and explore areas that many people wouldn't see as really just technology and and finance but uh, the rounded view of what it's about and i would encourage uh, many people as i said at the beginning particularly those in large organizations uh to consider uh, the applicability of this type of diagnosis you know, as mike said going through a school of a thousand in a day we'll go through a workforce of five thousand in a day or two uh think about uh, the institutions that you're involved with and ask yourself a good question particularly in a time of highest strain when everybody is tele, uh, why aren't you taking the opportunity to do something? But I also would like to thank you, the audience. Uh, a reminder that we've got a rich set of webinars next week 
cooperation. Uh, we're going to be looking at the P20 system in America. Uh, and Duncan Sands is going to be uh, dialing in from the States to explore that with us. We have big lessons from small nations. Uh, an old high school friend of mine, so you're going to meet somebody who knew me before, Mike Smith. Uh, James Briding, uh, Jim, is going to be telling us about the S8, uh, why the small nations like Ireland, the Netherlands, Switzerland, and Denmark, of which we've heard so much today, uh, succeed. And uh, finally, on uh, on Thursday, we're going to have Financial Centers of the World 2020, our uh, look at various centers around the world, and this time we'll be featuring Casablanca. So a rich set of events next week. As ever, uh, go to the website and check out what's forthcoming. Anyway, Mike, it remains for me to thank you on behalf of, sadly, a tele-audience, a virtual audience. Uh, you can't see them. You can't see how thankful they are. Uh, they lit the question board up, uh, and I will connect you as appropriately. But I can offer you here on camera a virtual round of applause, and thank you for a great, great webinar. So thank you very much. All right, folks, I'll end the webinar now and uh, look forward to being in touch with all of you over the weeks to come. Have a good weekend.